So you might be thinking, what does this passage have to do with the resurrection? Um, it is the next passage that we have come to in First Peter, uh, but I assure you that this passage cannot be lived out apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his resurrection presence given to us by the Spirit. We need the Spirit of the risen Christ in order to understand what Jesus did, what he continues to do, and how that is being lived through us. And that's what it means to be clothed with humility. Because as we come to this chapter in First Peter, there might be private thoughts that we uh, entertain. Maybe we hide from ourselves thoughts that amount to pride. Thoughts like this. Uh, we look at verse 5 and it says, uh, submit yourselves to your elders. And I've just heard about elders in the previous verses. And if I was an elder, things would be different. That's one of the thoughts. The second thought, if I were God, things would be different. And that has to do with verses 6 to 7. So these private thoughts are actually addressed in this passage. Thoughts that we might not admit to ourselves. If I were an elder, if I were God, things would be different. And that attitude amounts to pride. And so what we need is the Holy Spirit to help us to see things from a different perspective. So we move from the elders who were addressed in verses 1 to 4 to younger saints. And uh, some people like to read this passage and they say, well, elders means older people. But I think given what is said in verses 1 to 4, it's pretty clear that we're talking about officers in the church. But that raises a, a question for some of us, especially for, for younger people have a lot of energy and have a lot of vision. It's very common to think that they uh, have a better way of doing things. Uh, especially in times of pressure. And this can lead to strife and conflict and even division. But the, the message here in these verses is given, as it says, to all. Look at what it says. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. All of us, including elders, are called to be submissive to one another. And that's an important thing. And so we have this basic message that's repeated two times. Submit. And then the question of whom to submit to. And then why we submit. So submit, submit to whom and why. That's basically our passage. So we're looking at uh, the idea of submitting. And of course, that raises our pride. That raises the idea that maybe I need to uh, do something that I am not privately prepared to do. Submit to whom? Well, it says the younger people submit themselves to their elders. And then it says all submit to one another. So everybody in the body of Christ is being called upon to submit to one another. And younger people in particular are being told to submit themselves to their elders. Uh, implied in that, underneath that, is the idea that some, for some reason younger people find it harder to submit to elders. And so the word of God is specifically pointing that out. Why? Why would that be? 
uh, why are we to submit to one another? It's because God has a particular stance toward the proud, as we're told at the end of verse 5. And then we're told about the gift of God's grace. So to whom do we submit? We submit the youngers to the elders. We submit all to another. And the reasons why is God has a particular stance toward the proud and God's grace is given to us as a gift. And so we're told to submit ourselves uh, in verses 6 to 7. And the question is to whom, as we've seen? It's to God. It's the God who has a mighty hand. It's God who cares for you. And then why? It's so that he might exalt you and because he cares for you. So that's basically what we're looking at uh, today. We're looking at submission to whom and why. Um, so we start with uh, verse 5. Submit, you younger people. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Younger to elder. What does submit mean? It means uh, a way of respecting and uh, acknowledging the authority of people that are uh, in authority over us, people that are, have an office, uh, perhaps our elders, but specifically those who have that role in the church as elders. Um, all of you be submissive to one another. All of us are to um, be uh, willing to uh, respect and uh, give uh, Acknowledgement of the position of people uh, in the body of Christ. Submit to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is this clothing all about? Being clothed with humility. What does that look like? And how does that address what it is that we are struggling with? Well, in the time of the New Testament, uh, slaves often wore a white robe with an apron. And uh, they uh, were t had this apron uh, tied around them. And so what is being said is to mark yourselves as a slave, to actually uh, wear the clothing of a slave, of, of a servant. Um, and the reason is given that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a quotation from the Proverbs that focuses as kind of a hinge, it actually uh, causes us to um, understand the reason why we are being told uh, to be clothed with humility. It looks back to the commandment that we are humble to one another and forward to the commandment that we are humble with respect to God. And the reason given, the reason why, is because God has a particular stance toward those who are proud. And he has a particular stance toward those who are humble. Proverbs 3, verse 34 says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. He scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. God actually has a different stance toward people who have different stances toward him. Those who are scornful, he may scorn. But those who are humble, he gives grace to. So it, it follows that we need to understand what it is that would bring us uh, to wear this clothing of humility. What would bring us to be willing to submit uh, to those who are uh, in positions in our lives. Scorners, you see, think of themselves as being strong. They look down on other people. They mock them and 
they actually cut down those that they consider to be weak. But you see, God is the ultimate strong one. So when scorners scorn people, God is the one uh, who is able to uh, accomplish the greatest uh, level of scorn. He mocks the mockers. He scorns the scorners. But on the other hand, he gives grace to those who are humble, to those who are willing to submit. We just read from Psalm 2. And the kings of the earth are told that they are to submit themselves to the Son so that he does not show anger towards them. When God scorns the scorners, he's actually cursing them. It's actually something that, that is acknowledging the deadly sin of pride in them. And God is treating them uh, in a way that handles it. Uh, we're told this in uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, verses 24 to 33. We're told this in uh, Psalm 18, verse 27, where the, the Bible says, You will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. We struggle with this because of our pride. Why would God scorn people? Why would he curse people? Why would he have the right to... Why does he do that? If he created people, why is he... And that's the way that we rebel. That's the way that we respond. So this approach, this whole idea of clothing yourself with humility was actually something that stood against the culture in Peter's day. It was actually not something that the uh, Greeks and Romans desired to uh, be in the position of a slave. This was an actually a way of speaking that showed how humility stands against the culture. The Greco-Roman culture would not have ever wanted to be associated with a slave. They despised humble people. Their pride was expressed in the way that they viewed this very clothing that the people of God are being told to wear. And yet we look at Jesus and we see him in the passage in Philippians. And Jesus had equality with God. But he surrendered in obedience. He actually submitted himself. He humbled himself in order to save our souls. And Jesus gives us an illustration of this uh, in John 13 when he removes his outer clothes to tie on an apron and wash the feet of the disciples. He takes on the role of a servant and he washes their feet. And he tells them that that's an example for them. That's the model for their lives. And then he goes on. He goes on to the point of dying on a cross in the face of an unjust master. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he exhibited that in the life of Jesus Christ. Now that's important because we're about to get to this next part uh, here in, in the, the following verses where it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And you need to know that the pattern that's given to you there is already fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. It's the pattern of the life of Jesus. That's what you are being told to follow, the pattern of the life of Jesus. Already the servanthood of Jesus, already the submission of Jesus, but now the Lord Jesus humbling himself that he may be exalted in due time. That's the whole pattern of the book of Philippians. And so this is how we are called upon 
uh, to deal with this second issue, the issue of uh, if I were God, things would be different. Verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The mighty hand of God. It was used in the Old Testament, uh, the hand of God as a symbol of discipline. It was also a symbol of deliverance. God is able to discipline, he's able to deliver. And when God brings something into our lives, we are called upon to see that it is he that is bringing this about. Psalm 75 says, Exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. God is able to put down and exalt people. He's able to discipline and deliver. But God brings this, this work into our lives, and we are called upon to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We're called upon to see that he is the one that we uh, are to submit ourselves to. We were singing uh, at the beginning of our worship service about praising Jehovah for his mighty acts of fame, his might and greatness. And it's a wonderful thing to sing when you're thinking in the abstract. I'm praising God because he's mighty, because he's powerful. But when we're called upon to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God until he exalts us, when we know that he has the might, but he hasn't done it yet, that's where it requires humility. That's where it requires recognizing that he is God and we are not. I can't be in the place of God and do things differently. He is the one that I am submitting to. And so you need to know something about this God that you are being called upon to submit to, this one who will exalt you in due time. This God cares for you. This God who is able to discipline and deliver, this God who has a mighty hand, this one who has chosen to bring you through a period of time before you're exalted. This one cares for you. That's what verse 7 says. He's going to exalt you, uh, verse 6 says, but that's not the reason that you are called upon to humble yourself. You are called upon to humble yourself that he may exalt you in due time. In the meantime, recognizing in verse 7 that he cares for you. He's going to exalt you, but he's going to exalt you in his time. And he's going to exalt you in a way that shows his care for you. Humbling yourselves, then, under the mighty hand of God, is a means to casting your care on the Lord. It's a means to reaching that point of humility where you're actually able to receive the care of God. You see, the proud person doesn't receive the care of God. They're not willing to wear the clothing of humility. They're not willing to be humbled under his mighty hand, waiting for the time to be exalted. They want to rush ahead. But true humility involves entrusting our concerns to the one who cares for us. We have to wait for the time that is appointed by him. In due time, when the time is right, the proper time, and so the way that you 
cast yourselves on the Lord during such a time shows how you are humbling yourself. Humble yourselves, casting. That's what the verse says. In other words, casting shows the way of humbling yourself. It's not a, just simply saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to just... I'm just going to... I'm just going to suffer. Yeah. Okay, God. I'm suffering now. And you know, I'm suffering for you. So... Here we are. That's the negative side. That's self-denial. That's trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and buck up and keep a stiff upper lip. But there's also a call to the positive side. It's not only just having a stiff upper lip. It's actually depending on God for help. So submission involves not just simply being willing to suffer and and you know, almost against your will going through it, but actually depending on God for the help that you need to get through. Depending on God, casting, as it says, all of your care upon him. What is care? It's uh, a word that has to do with uh, the things that are a burden to you. The way it says in uh, Psalm 55 and verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. This is the idea. When your, your burden is too much for you, you have been given a place to take it. Anxiety, you see, uh, stems from trying to care for yourself. Instead, we are being called upon to see that God cares for us. Think about it like this. This might sound weird to you. All of your burdens, all of the things that you carry around, the things that are too heavy for you, are like a huge pile of trash. And you're being called upon to cast it onto God. That's what this word is talking about. It's throwing away from yourself. The burden. And you say, well, it's trash. God is not a dumpster. I can't cast all of my trash. God doesn't want all my trash. But the Bible says, cast your care on him. The things that are a burden to us. God is telling us to cast that upon him. Because he's able to bear it. Because he's able to bear it and he is willing to bear it. Consider uh, the Lord Jesus. We know uh, from Philippians 2 that the Lord Jesus uh, fulfilled uh, what it, we read about uh, in verse verse 6, that the Lord Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. Therefore, because he became obedient to the point of death, he humbled himself. He took the form of a bondservant. God highly exalted him and gave him the name that it's above every name, 
the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and was exalted. And that's the pattern for you and for me. But did you know that there was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ actually submitted his burden to God? Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says that uh, Jesus, although he was a son, learned obedience by the things that he suffered. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, was obedient to the point of actually submitting his care to the Lord. It says in in, uh, Hebrews 5 that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ prayed with energetic cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because he reverenced his father in heaven. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to that point where his care was being expressed to the father in heaven. He was casting his care upon it. Isn't that the amazing that the scripture is telling us to follow Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has already been there. Jesus Christ has already gone through these uh, experiences that we're being taught uh, that is the pattern of our life that we are to follow in developing humility. Jesus Christ has been humbled and exalted and Jesus Christ cast his care upon the Father. He does it as well in this in this way in uh, the Gospel of Luke when we're told uh, that he prays in the garden in Luke uh, chapter 22 and verse 42. And he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What's Jesus doing there? He's asking the Father to take the cup away from him. But he's humbling himself under God's mighty hand. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. What is Jesus doing there? He's submitting himself clearly. Is he casting his cares upon the Lord? Is he casting his cares upon the Father? I submit to you that Jesus is saying, not my will, but yours be done. And at that point, he does not have a concern for what he wants to happen. He has submitted himself to his Father. He has cast that whole sphere of my will into his Father's hands. And that's an important thing for us because we come upon things that happen in our lives. They happen with a loved one. They happen with our circumstances. They happen with people that we are concerned about who don't seem to be moving in the direction we would like them to move. Things that are very burdensome to us. And the whole, the whole area of what I would want God to do in this situation, what I would do if I were God in this, with this person, would be, and we can't get away from that stance. You see, Jesus, 
Jesus breaks through all of that. Jesus provides the means by which submission to the Father's will happens. And his concern for areas that he would like to carry out according to his own will, according to his human nature, because we know that his divine will was one with the Father's, but the human nature that was wrestling, Jesus submits himself to the Father. That whole area of his own care, the burden of trying to make his own will happen, is given up. Is there something in your life where your will is butting up against the will of God? The pattern of what God is revealing to you. Is it possible that, that your desire to carry out your will could be bundled up as, as if it were a, a trash bag full of thoughts and impulses and false moves because of your own will? And you could just say, I'm surrendering myself under your mighty hand, and I'm going to cast upon you all of the care that I have for carrying out things according to my own way. Brothers and sisters, this is the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, is given to us that we might be reflecting him, not only in the way that we look to others, but also in the attitudes of our heart, that we might be humble, that we might be willing to submit ourselves, that we might know that God cares for us, and also that we might actively depend upon him, actively depend on him instead of ourselves. And all of that takes place because the work of Jesus Christ is being carried out inside of us. And that's the importance of the supper. Because the supper is given to us that we might taste and know that God cares for us. And that we can submit our cares to him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us. We ask that you would guide us. We ask that you would strengthen us. There is so much that we are still grappling with, seeking to understand, seeking to make happen in our lives. We are pushing for what we think to be the way to go. And yet we are told in this passage that you give grace to the humble. We are told to clothe ourselves with the clothing of humility being associated with those who serve. And we are willing to serve you. We understand that we need your grace. It is waiting for the time in which you will exalt us and holding on to our care that trips us up. And yet you have told us quite clearly that the pattern of Jesus Christ in Philippians 2 is a pattern of our lives. We are to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and you will exalt us in due time. And we're also being told that we can cast our cares upon you because of your care for us. You are the one who made us. 
You are the one whose will is best. You are the one who knows the course of our lives. And we depend upon you. We ask, Father, for the grace to depend upon you on the inside. In the places where we are tempted to fight you, we ask, Father, for a spirit of dependence and assurance of your care. And we ask that you would help us to see that all of this assurance is given to us through Jesus Christ, given to us by the Spirit, and actually fed to us in the Supper. We ask that you would help us to know that your care for us and the sure uh, reality that you will exalt us is already being given to us, that you have already provided for us in all of these ways through Jesus, given by your Spirit, according to your word. And so we ask in the course of our lives that this pattern that has been reflected in the life of Jesus and that will be surely carried out in a way that makes us like Jesus would be something that we receive enthusiastically. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.